Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this morning's message is a vision and a thorn, a vision and a thorn. Paul, in chapter 12, continues to defend his ministry. As we've been studying the false prophets and the legalists, that is the Judaizers, they they were saying to the Corinthian church that Paul didn't have, you know, commendations and recommendations from, you know, the big names and from the important men. And so Paul's ministry was kind of second rate compared to the false prophets and these guys that came with their letters of recommendation. And Paul's been defending himself only because he's protecting the church from these false prophets. So Paul continues to defend his ministry in chapter 12 by talking about his accomplishments, which he never does. He didn't like to do this. He didn't like to boast about himself or the things that he's accomplished, but he felt he had to for the sake of the Corinthian Christians so that they could see that he wasn't a lesser minister than those that are criticizing him. Who they continually boasted about their achievements. And they did that in order to make Paul look like he was nothing. What can Paul say about himself? In verses 1 through 10, these verses end Paul's defense of his apostleship and his love for the believers at Corinth. Paul wasn't hesitant to write about his personal experiences, but there was no other, uh, he, he was hesitant to write about them his personal experiences, but there was no other way for him to solve the problem. So let's begin with verses 1 through 4. He says, it, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. In other words, he says, you know, it's, it's, I, it's doubtful, all right, and really profitless for me to boast. But he says, I will come to <clears throat> through visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, but God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. He says, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul was truly a humble man, and in his humility, he wrote about this experience, and he writes about it, he writes that something happened to him, something happened to him, but he's telling the story as though he was just a spectator, as though he saw this happen to somebody else, not himself because it takes away the attention from himself. And so, again, he was hesitant, like I say, to write about himself, but there was no other way to solve the problem. And he goes on to say, as he tells this story, as though he was just a spectator, and again, it was to keep from exalting himself, he says here, I know a man. Now, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. So he says, I know this guy, that you know, had this 
experience. Don't know if it was an out-of-body experience or in-the-body experience. Paul wasn't sure if he had had an out-of-body experience during this vision. And Paul's experience happened, he says, 14 years ago. And it seems Paul hadn't told anybody about it because nobody had heard about it up to now. Paul was humble and he didn't seek self-glory through these divine privileges that, that he had. He said, notice of this person, such a one, and he's speaking of himself, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now the Bible talks about three heavens and the third heaven is called par paradise. The first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heaven is the stars, the sun, and the moon. And the third heaven is God's dwelling place, which is also called paradise. As he told one of the thieves on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. This man, Paul, he says, this man heard inexpressible words. He said, words not lawful for a man to utter. The words were a personal and private confirmation and encouragement to Paul in his ministry. Otherwise, he would have been urged to make them known to others. And the prohibition was this. He was not, it was not lawful for a man to utter. In other words, he couldn't, he couldn't share these words that he heard in heaven to anybody else. So it helps explain why he hadn't said anything about this vision earlier. Look at verses 5 and 6. Paul goes on to say, of such a one, speaking of himself, of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself, I will not boast except in my infirmities. He says, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So let me read that same verse to you from the New Living Translation for ease of uh, understanding. He says, that experience that I'm talking about is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. He says, if I wanted to boast, I wouldn't be a fool for doing it because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want to, uh, I don't want anyone to give me credit for more than what they can see in my life or what they hear in my message. If Paul had wanted to boast, he wouldn't be a fool for being proud of the experience that he just described. He would be telling the truth. Just the same, he wasn't going to do it. He only wanted people to think as highly of him as they had experienced him to be, or as highly of him as what they'd heard of him would justify. Paul did not want anybody to evaluate him based on his opinion. Only their own evaluation based on their experience with Paul. What they knew of him, what they heard of him. He could have exaggerated this amazing experience that he had, but what good would it have done? All that would do would glorify Paul if he went around boasting about this experience. It would just, it would just glorify himself. All he wanted was to be taken at face value for what he was through his life and his testimony. Now, thrilling experiences, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're, they were probably good enough, but he wanted to be evaluated on a more down-to-earth basis. Validation, as God's minister, doesn't come from your own opinion or otherworldly experiences. The problem is that the Corinthians didn't quite understand Paul. 
And what they've seen of him, they've mistaken. So he needs to get them to understand that the life and the power of God is being threatened by the experience of weakness and humiliation. And what's important uh, aren't the supernatural moments when he's become spiritually raptured in this vision, but his obedience in the everyday job of preaching the gospel faithfully in spite of, as he says in verse 10, his infirmities, his reproaches, his knees, persecutions, and distress. In spite of all of those things, he says, I'm, you know, I need to be obedient and preach the gospel faithfully. Look at verse 7. Now, in verse 7, he suddenly turns to something else in verse 7. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. We're now invited to look at this thorn in Paul's life. And you can relate it to yourself this morning. The Lord knows how to balance our lives. You see, if we only have blessings and good times, we might become proud. We might become complacent. So he allows us to have burdens as well. Thank you, Lord. Paul's heavenly experience, it could have ruined his ministry, his earthly ministry. So God in his goodness allows Satan to buffet him in order to keep him from becoming proud. Paul was overwhelmed by this, this, this thing that, that, that Satan gave him, this thing that God allowed Satan to give him. Paul was overwhelmed by it. It seems that he was in danger of becoming so heavenly minded because of the vision that he'd be of no earthly good. And so again, it was a, what a privilege that Paul had to have this vision and, and nobody else had it, nobody else heard about it and, and Paul could have been overwhelmed by it and become so spiritually you know, proud that you know, it would have ruined his ministry. That was the danger. As it says here, he might become exalted above measure. Because the kind of revelations and visions given to Paul, man, they were really impressive things. And to keep Paul from being overexalted, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And the scripture says to buffet him. The word buffet means to hit with a clenched fist. So God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to buffet him to, like, like being hit with a clenched fist. Now, a thorn in the flesh is any trouble that enables God to work more effectively in us and through us. So maybe you this morning have a thorn in the flesh. So understand what that means, what it can do, what value it is, the purpose of it, as we see it uh, here mentioned in Paul's life. Once again, a thorn in the flesh is any trouble that enables God to work more effectively in us and through us. And if you've been praying for that, don't complain about the thorn, as we'll see here. Whatever God sent Paul, it was to remind Paul, Paul, you are just a man. The thorn seems to have attacked Paul in two ways. It attacked Paul physically and spiritually. The word thorn speaks of a sharp stake used for torturing or impaling someone. Now that sure sounds comfortable. But that's what Paul had. He had this, whatever it was, whatever the thorn was, 
It was like a sharp stake for torturing him or impaling him. Whatever it was hurt Paul physically. So again, you you may have a physical horn, some ailment, some pain, some disease, some illness, something that affects you uh, 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 physically, that could be that type of uh, a physical thorn. Uh, So it was both both hurtful for Paul and humiliating. It was some kind of bodily ailment, ailment, and it was very painful. Now, some people might think that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an eye affliction. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, it's mentioned there. Or maybe an eye disease that caused, uh, that, that, that caused uh, a blind, that, because of the blinding vision on the road to Damascus. Remember when he saw the, the vision of Jesus Christ and the bright light came? That bright light may have damaged his vision. Whatever it was, it was painful to Paul, so it may have affected him physically. Now, it also attacked Paul. It also affected him spiritually. Paul describes it as a messenger of Satan in verse 7. Now, Martin Luther and, and John Calvin, they both thought that once, uh, one of Satan's agents kept throwing evil suggestions or fiery darts into Paul's mind. Now, in Paul's day, arrows were dipped in a flammable substance and they would be lit on fire and shot at the enemy. So Satan shoots these fiery darts at our hearts. He shoots these fiery darts at our minds. You know, like blasphemous thought, hateful thoughts about others, doubts about ourselves, doubts about God. You know, he, he, he shoots doubts about the future and, and he shoots these fire darts of, of burning desires for sin. So those are the things that could be, you know, a, a result of the fiery darts. And if we don't quench these fiery darts by faith, they'll light a destructive fire within and, they will, and, and we will disobey God. We never know when Satan will shoot a fiery dart at us. That's why we have to always walk by faith and use the shield of faith. That's why we always have to put on the full armor of God mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. You need to be prepared for these fiery darts. You need to be prepared when the enemy comes with an attack of some kind. So again, uh, the purpose of the armor is to fight off these fiery darts. And the particular piece of armor would be the faith, the shield of faith. Because that was used to to ward off any blows that the enemy would throw at you. So if Luther and Calvin are right, then the affliction was even more deadly and it intended to keep Paul always on his face before God. And isn't that what we need? Whatever God brings us that keeps us on our face before God, man, that that is exactly what we need. Paul wasn't just overwhelmed by the seriousness of his affliction, he was also overwhelmed by God. Look at verse 8. Concerning this thing, this, this thorn in the flesh, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my, strength, uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul prayed for God to remove this thorn. But it wasn't removed. Paul prayed again for God to remove the thorn. It wasn't removed. Paul prayed again for this thorn to be removed. It wasn't removed. Three times Paul prayed, three times God said no. Paul, God says, I- I'm not removing it, Paul. Now, why 
why if Paul prayed three times and Paul was one of the most godliest men, one of the most faithful men, one of the most powerful men in the scriptures, one of the greatest servants the, Bible's, the Bible tells us about. Now, why wouldn't this thorn be taken away? Why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't, you know, a, a man like Paul, you know, pray and this thorn be taken away? What's wrong with him? Now, here's where Satan comes in. Many times when, when we pray and an answer is not given, well, the way we want it to be given, Satan comes and say, hmm, there must be something wrong with your life. Maybe there's sin in your life that you don't know about. Maybe you don't have enough faith. Something must be wrong with your faith. Something must be wrong with your life. Maybe God's angry with you. Maybe God doesn't hear you. And the list goes on and on and on. The problem is too many times we listen to it and we believe it. Whatever the thorn was in Paul's life, and here's the thing that we have to remember, and it was terrible, it came from God. And my, well, a lot of times we might think, well, oh, why would God do such a horrible thing? Why would God allow me or somebody to suffer so terribly? Easy to ask why, hard to answer. We ask for our trust in the Lord and the Word of God and passages and studies like this come in. Paul, why, why, what, what's wrong with your prayer life? Because again, you know, if, if, you, if you say, if you claim it, aren't you supposed to get it? Positive confession. All you have to do is name it and claim it. You know, I, 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 I claim to be healed. Okay, well, it doesn't work. All you have to do is name it and claim it. And whatever we want, it's ours. Don't think negative thoughts and they won't happen. Well, that's a false teaching. It's contrary to the Word of God. It's contrary to experience. Look at Paul. Contrary to his experience, he prayed three times and he still has the thorn. We can see how Paul prayed over this agonizing thorn. We can see how much more agonizing it became when his prayer wasn't answered. God says, Paul, request denied. The thorn's going to stay. There would be no quick fix. There would be no miracle. But the prayer doesn't go unanswered. The answer is just different from what Paul wanted it to be, like many times it is for us. The Lord's response was to give him a richer capacity of strength to overcome his weakness. This response was for greater and more profound was, was far greater and more profound than anything Paul knew to ask from the Lord. See, many times as Paul said, we don't know what to pray sometimes. So Lord, give us what I need. Give me what I need. Give me what's best for me. And then when we get it, we go, oh, couldn't you have done it another way, Lord? But he said, I'm doing what's best for you. God knocks Paul's pride for a loop here. Making Paul totally dependent upon God's power, not his own. 
And the commentator Bruce puts it like this. His prayer was indeed answered, not by his deliverance from the affliction, but by his receiving the necessary grace to bear it. God may not remove the affliction, but he'll give us the grace to deal with it. But Paul received more than grace to deal with this troubling affliction. He received the power of Christ. What was it that Paul asked for in Philippians 3.10? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Like I said, be careful what you pray for. Paul said, I want to know his power. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now he's experiencing it. His prayer was overruled by God, that is to take away the thorn, because God knows best, and God doesn't make any mistakes, and God loves us with a love that's beyond measure. God loves us, and He doesn't make mistakes. When God allows suffering to come into our lives, there are many ways that we can deal with it. We can get bitter. We can complain. Get mad at God. Blame God for robbing us of our freedom and our pleasure. Maybe it's because we have too much freedom and too much pleasure. We can just give up. We can just give up and, and, not get, and fail to get any blessings out of the experience that we're going through. Because we won't put any courage into the experience. We won't put in the faith into experience and living the experience and going beyond the experience in the power of Christ. We might just grit our teeth and hold on for dear life, put on a smiley face and just determine to hang on to the very end. Well, that's not going to be very pleasurable either. It might be a brave response, but after a while, man, it's going to drain you of the strength that you do have that you need to live every day. And after a while, you're just going to drop, you're going to collapse. Nehemiah 8.10, he said, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The secret of Christian joy is to believe what God says in His Word and act upon it. And faith isn't based on the Word. Uh, faith that's not based on the Word isn't faith at all. It's presumption or superstition. Joy that isn't the result of faith isn't joy at all. It's only a good feeling. And when, you know what? Good feelings disappear real fast. Faith based on the word will produce joy that will make it through the storms of life. Verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It was God's matchless grace that came with the affliction. God's all-sufficient grace, grace that moment by moment enabled Paul not only to bear the pain and the torment of it all, but to accept it as a fact of life. And as we looked at the studies last week, and Paul was talking about all his trials and tribulations, he went through them, he endured them, and he just took them with stride because they were just a part of the call. They're a part of, of serving Jesus Christ as part of ministry. It's, it's a part of life. He accepted his thorn as a fact of life. 
It comes with the whole package. It's a part of the program, Paul's mindset. It was to be accepted, and we are to accept these things, as Paul said, as the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives. Romans 12, 2. Paul accepted it as a part of that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for his life. Paul not only received God's matchless grace, he also received God's matchless power. Jesus said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what that tells us? God isn't limited to just the strong. He will use the weak too. And the weak will probably be better than than the strong because the strong, we depend upon our own strength. We go in our own strength. But God is not limited to just the strong. Strength speaks of unlimited power. And Paul learned that even though he didn't have the power to overcome this this incredible thorn, this, 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 this thing that he had, God did. God did have the power to get through this, to overcome this, through Paul's weakness. It was Paul's weakness and submission that enabled God to work like never before. And that's how many times we get in our way with, with God wanting to work in my life. I, I'm, in, I'm doing things in my own strength, in my own so-called wisdom, in my own power, and, and God, God says, okay, I'll let you do your thing. It's when I recognize I don't have the power and I don't have the strength, that I am weak, that God says, good, I'll work in you and through you. And then he gets the glory. And then we get to experience seeing that and just, just it's a joy to experience God working in your life. Strength speaks of unlimited power. Again, it was Paul's weakness and submission that enabled God to work in him like never before. Paul so overcame his affliction that it's basically ignored totally in the Bible. Think about that. This is the only place that you hear of Paul's thorn. You don't hear about it any place else in the Bible. basically ignored Paul so overcame his you don't ever hear him complain about oh man I should be a better missionary if I didn't have this thorn in my neck or my back or my eyes or wherever it is oh I could do this or I could go here all this thorn it's just you know he never complained about it why he knew it came from God he knew he needed it he knew that he that, that his strength was perfected Christ's strength was perfected in that weakness It didn't get in Paul's way of the three missionary journeys that covered almost 6,000 miles. He went to Asia Minor, he went to Europe, he went to Rome, and we never hear a peep out of him. Again, we never suspect that he had that handicap. And we wouldn't even know about Paul's thorn if the Holy Spirit hadn't told Paul to write it down. Infirmities, the word infirmities here means disease or sickness. The grace of God wasn't sent to him. It it wasn't just sent to him. It got a hold of him. 
Many times a lot of us walk around grumbling and complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves in our infirmities, in our disease and weaknesses. And then we use them as an excuse for doing nothing. Or we allow ourselves to become poisoned and bitter against God because of them. Or we use them as weapons to get other people to feel sorry for us. Paul didn't just accept his infirmity. You know what? He accepted it gladly. The word gladly here means sweetly with pleasure. What an attitude. You could say it like this. Paul accepted his terrible handicap with great pleasure. And because he did, he became an overcomer. And with a closing comment, Paul responds to and accepts Jesus' word. In the previous context, he had mentioned the concept uh, we, the concept of weakness a few times. But now the Lord himself uses the word and Paul cheerfully repeats it. And with this response, Paul reveals his inner being for the one, uh, for, for the one sentence in verse 9a. Notice the first part of verse 9 where he says, Therefore, uh, most likely, I will rather boast in my infirmities. So he boasts. So he, he you know, he's sweetly with pleasure. He, he, he responds with this inner, uh, in his inner being for that one sentence that we just read, uttered by Jesus, causes Paul to, uh, again, rejoice in his calling. Complaints and continued prayers are a common reaction to a negative answer. But you don't hear, you don't hear them coming from Paul. Instead, Paul demonstrates gladness. Why? Because he's totally aware that God's divine grace will be more than sufficient in order for him to handle what he's going through. He cheerfully, gladly endures his human weakness. Why? He knows that Jesus works within him. It is no longer I who live, but he, Christ, who lives in me. That's what Paul is saying here. Why does Paul boast in his weakness? Because the weaker he is, the stronger the power of Jesus works through him. Jesus wants to use Paul. He wants to use him as a messenger who, who, who doesn't come in his own strength, who's not coming to the, to the Corinthians in his own strength, but he knows that he's totally dependent upon the Lord. Paul recognized that the Lord's power could only be obtained on his terms. And those terms included the agonizing thorn. Paul, that's the only way you're going to re receive my power is through your thorn, is through your weakness. And Paul recognized a principle. The more grief he had, the more grace he had. The more of grace that he had, the more of God that he had. Which was the source of the power, Jesus Christ. And then the wording in the last clause of verse 9 is unique that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul literally says that the power of Christ may pitch a tent over me. The picture is that of God descending from heaven and dwelling in the tabernacle among the people of Israel. It's the picture of Jesus who came down from heaven and dwelled in a, as in a tent among his people. We see a picture of Paul's total commission to Christ. All the adversities... 
that Paul experienced, all of the adversities that came Paul's way, he gladly acknowledges them as areas where Jesus Christ's power becomes more effective in him. Paul reveals the extent of his power in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, basically, whatever whatever weaknesses there are, you know, uh, again, persecutions, distresses, infirmities, whatever, bring them on because that's when I'm strong. That's when I'm strong. He gladly accepts the fact that in those infirmities that he has to endure, Paul is strong, and they're all for, for Christ's sake. Paul joyfully accepts all of these sufferings for, for, to further the gospel. He knows that he has to suffer much for the name of Jesus. Remember in Acts 9.16, what the Lord told him, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. When Ananias told him, or told Jesus, Jesus told him, and he told, that Paul, man, I'm going to show him many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. But he also knew that he could do everything in, through Christ who strengthens him. And then he ends on a note of victory. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He repeats what he wrote at the beginning of of this verse, that he delights in weaknesses for the sake of Jesus. All things are done through and for Jesus Christ so that he might receive the glory and the honor. And if you want to be strong, you have to go through a weakening process. God is attracted to weakness. All that's left for Paul to do is to sum things up in verses 11 through 13. He says, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me, uh, for, for, forgive me this. Yeah, for, for, forgive me this wrong. And so first Paul shamed the Corinthians for not approving of him. They should have boasted or been boasting about Paul instead of the kind of uh, himself forcing himself to boast. Instead, the Corinthians were boasting about these so-called super-apostles, these Judaizers, these false prophets who had won their affection and they were now running the church. Paul was not inferior to these men. The Corinthians had seen Paul in action. In fact, they owed their very souls to Paul because he's the one who led them to Christ. He'd done miraculous things among them to prove his apostleship. Paul was hanging tough in his ministry at Corinth in spite of all the things that he was going through, the persecutions on the outside and the problems on the inside. He, had, he, hadn't, he, had, he cost the church nothing. He didn't do anything against the church. Paul used his subtle sarcasm again when he wrote this in verse 13. I'm going to read it from the Living Bible. The only thing I didn't do for you, which I do everywhere else in all other churches, was to become a burden to you. I didn't ask you to give me food to eat I didn't, you know, or a place to stay. 
please forgive me for this wrong. You know, if it was wrong, again, being sarcastic. Paul now comes to the end of this long section that deals with his critics, and he starts with, this, uh, with his plan in verse, notice, 14 and 15. He says, Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Verse 15, and I, will very be, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. To support his, his reason why he didn't take any money, Paul pictures himself like a parent and the church as his children. And he says parents are to provide for the children, not the other way around. So in spite of not taking any money, Paul still behaves himself admirably, admirably among the people. He says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, for your souls. Paul doesn't complain about not getting paid or no pay. Instead, he's so excited about his work that he gladly gives his all to the work of Jesus Christ. And he goes without the things that he needs. So much of Christianity today grumbles and complains if they're asked to do anything you know, for the church. Paul's dedication is so great that he's willing to give his all. Now in our language, we'd say that Paul was willing to give the shirt off of his back for the work of the gospel. And this kind of dedication we see being lost in the church today. It's all about their, their own convenience. Not many are willing to sacrifice much of anything for the gospel. And that's why our churches today struggle because people have little time for the ministry, little time for the gospel, little time for serving Jesus Christ. Paul said, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And Paul had a legitimate complaint about the Corinthians. The more he sacrificed for them, the less they seemed to think of him but he loves them abundantly. But they don't seem to respond to his love at all. And again, there's a lot of that in the church today. They seldom return the love and the sacrifice. They just aren't there. They, they complain if, they, if things don't happen the way they want them to. Verses 16 through 18. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother uh, with him. Did, I take, uh, did Titus take advantage of you? Did we, walk, did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in these same steps? In spite of Paul's sacrifice in refusing pay, he refused to take money, he's still being accused of taking money. So here Paul deals with a special charge or accusation that was made against him. It was a ridiculous accusation, but you see, people, evil people, they don't hesitate to make ridiculous accusations when righteous accusations can't be made. Paul says in verse 16, I didn't burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Now, to understand this verse, you have to realize Paul isn't confessing his behavior here, but is rather stating what his critics said of him. In other words, some of you admit I wasn't a burden to you, but others think I was being sneaky and took advantage of you by trickery. In other words, 
Though Paul said he wasn't taking money from the people, they were saying those men that Paul sent to get the money was to get it and bring it back and give it to Paul. By sending others to Corinth to get the money for him. So Paul ridicules the charges by speaking of it in a very sanctified, sarcastic way. He says, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? And make a gain of you by any of them who I sent to you? Did Titus take advantage of you? Didn't we not walk in the same spirit? Paul sent some men to Corinth on special missions. So, and and the, the first one was to see how the people had responded to the first letter that Paul wrote. But they were accusing Paul, the critics were accusing Paul of taking those that were sent there to take the money again in pretense to get it back to Paul. But he challenges the people about this accusation by reminding them that Titus and the others who came with him, they practiced the same habit of Paul. They didn't take money either. Titus and those that were with him were of the same spirit, he says there in verse 17 and 18, when it came to money. So the accusation was clearly false. Verse 19. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, notice, for your edification. One of Paul's reasons for not taking money was for the benefit of the people in the church. In fact, everything he did was to help the Corinthians spiritually. Yet in spite of that, he was unmercifully accused by his critics of unholy and selfish behavior and motives. But it was the critics of Paul that were the real troublemakers because their motives and their behavior was really disgraceful. And they had to attack Paul because his ministry was hurting the, the false ministry's work because Paul was doing things right he was doing things unlike the false prophets, so it was hurting the false prophets' ministry. So they had to make Paul look just as bad. Verse 20 through 21. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I, shall be and I will be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceit, tumults, Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before uh, and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul was afraid that when he, got to, he went to Corinth for the visit, he was afraid he was going to find people living in sin. He was afraid he'd find them in contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits and tumults. Paul was afraid of finding the church divided and fussing with each other instead of united and doing a great work together for God. And again, many churches are, are the same today. They have the same fear that Paul feared, the condition of the church. Many churches are in those sad conditions today. They're always fighting, bickering, full of pride and contention. And if this suspected condition existed in the Corinthian church, the effect on Paul's conduct would be so negative that the people in Corinth wouldn't like his presence at all. In other words, Paul said, when I get there, I'm afraid I'm going to find the church living in, in these sins. He says, and when I get there, and if you are, you're not going to like my presence there because he would deal with it. 
he would deal with all of those, those problems in the church. So again, Paul was afraid the Corinthians were living in great sin without shame and refusing to repent. This speaks of hard-hearted sinners. People who have sinned repeatedly. And this repeated sin, this hard-heartedness has killed their conscience. And they don't see a need to repent. And they don't want to repent. So Paul's burden for this church came about because he had led them to Christ. He wanted them to follow Jesus and he didn't want them to go back into wicked living. And how often people living in these these immoral sins and lifestyle aren't ashamed of their evil. And if these evil conditions exist, then this will really have a negative effect on Paul's coming to Corinth. So that's what Paul was concerned about. Then in closing, pastors experience the same thing. Leaders experience the same thing. When churches, when churches prosper and grow and people grow in faith and, and, and they're working together for the ministry, it's a joy and a blessing. But when they go into the world and they sin and they quit you know, serving the Lord, it, it's very sad. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's sad because, you know, it, it, you see them flourishing and serving God and then they go back into the world. Just as the sinfulness of the people and their departure from their faith in the Corinthian church, it would humble Paul, it would hurt him as well. And again, it is, it, it's that way with, you know, with pastors and leaders uh, that, that when people, you know, go into sin, when you see God bless them and use them, you know, uh, it, it, it hurts. But it's happening more and more in our churches today. And again, again, because of the times, the evil times that we live in, is that, you know, we, we need to, and we need to stand strong. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be in church. And again, it's for our benefit that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. Like Paul, he wanted to know the power of Christ and His resurrection and the power and his sufferings. He wanted to know all that he could. And how did that come? Through the affliction, through the thorn in his flesh, through his weakness. And so that we might not try to move forward in our own strength, in our own wisdom, but in the power of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for Paul's example, Father. Lord, he looked to you for everything. Father, he accepted the afflictions in his life, the persecutions, the pain and the sufferings as just a part of his life. Matter of factly, that's it. It all came in stride. And he never brought it up. He never complained about it. It never kept him from serving. It never kept him from the ministry in any way. Father, may we continue to move forward day by day, God, in spite of the things that come into our lives, God. May we just depend upon your your all-sufficient grace, God. Lord, that we would be overcomers, that we would become victors and not victims, God. As your word said, we are more than conquerors, Lord. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory, God. We thank you, Lord. 
We give you praise, honor, and glory. And Father, we thank you for the offering we will receive today, Lord. May it bring you glory. May it bring you just majesty, Lord. May we just thank you for what you first given unto us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.